WVCW Sports presents The Aftermath. Welcome to this week's edition of The Aftermath, where we bring you the latest in VCU sports news. We will also cover the big stories in professional sports. Hi, I'm Ben Malkoff, and alongside me tonight is Roland Haka and Jacob Sexton. Jacob, we're going to be talking, like we said, a lot about VCU sports tonight, even though we're not in the basketball season anymore. Why don't we start with the lacrosse section today? Yes, the lacrosse team, the D1 lacrosse team of the women's D1 lacrosse team, they're still in their infancy when it comes to being a part of Division One sports here at Virginia Commonwealth, but this season is starting out kind of rough. But in the recent game, they won against LIU Brooklyn 24 to 8. That improves their record to 2 and 5 on the season. The short story was that LIU Brooklyn was leading 6 4 with 13 minutes left in the first half, and then the Rams just scored nonstop, pulling away and scored 18 of the game's final 22 goals for a commanding victory. This win marked the largest margin of victory in the program's young history, and VCU's 24 goals tied a program record for the most in a single game. Wow, so that's really impressive for VCU, especially for a sport that doesn't get too much recognition here on campus. There's quite a few of those, but lacrosse is one of them, and there's some really fantastic players, including Sky Hyatt, who you said scored two goals and four assists, and eight draw controls. So a lot to look forward for this VCU team. Uh, just two and five, but obviously a very dominant win, so showing a lot of life and it's really good that they're finally getting the recognition that they deserve, especially with that win over a uh, a better team. Yeah, and uh, you know, I guess there was a lot of anger in that performance uh, because it's kind of been a disappointing start to the season so far. They were uh, one and five right before the game, but you know, a twenty-four day victory that's that's pretty dominating. It shows that they were uh, pretty determined to to win that night. It definitely does, and. Hopefully that's going to be able to continue because I'm not entirely sure how long the season is for lacrosse, one of the one of the lesser known sports here at VCU. But two and five isn't the isn't the way that they wanted to start out. So they're going to need to continue that anger, like you said. So what's next for them is that they're going to Virginia Tech, and that's going to be a pretty interesting game to look forward to. Virginia Tech obviously has a bigger program over there, but if VCU can pull out a win, they can start showing their division that they're mean business. Yes, and that's what VCU needs, especially early into the lacrosse season as they typically play all the way until May, if I'm not mistaken. And with 2-5 and five on the season with a dominating 24-8 win, now that's ridiculous on how fast-paced VCU's offense is when it comes to the cross. Their defense was astounding after they started their scoring streak. And we got to give props to Karen McTavish. She scored four goals and had a game-high four assists. And VCU out, outshot LIU Brooklyn 40-25 overall and 34-19 in shots on goal. So their shooting was astounding once they found rhythm. It really was. We're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the baseball section, which has really been getting into season here. VCU baseball starting to develop after a rough start. Start. We're going to get into that in just a few minutes and the tennis section. So stay with us here on The Aftermath. <laughs>
Hello everyone and welcome back to the aftermath. Uh, right now we're gonna take you to the Bennis to the the baseball and tennis section. Uh, so starting off with men's baseball, VCU won three uh, straight ga games against uh, IONA this week at home. This stretches their overall win streak to nine, and the record now is thirteen and eight. Sophomore catcher Josh Simon was named the Virginia Lottery Student Athlete of the Week for his efforts. Their next game is on Friday against Rhode Island at 6.30. So uh, just starting off with that before we move on to the other sections, I think we should just take a take a second and realize how amazing VCU or how amazing this team is that they're able to turn down, turn around their season after a rough start, uh, getting that uh, nine-game win streak. There's three against, I think, Iona is, that, is their, uh, their team. But 13 and eight. Now they're starting to look like that team that we that everybody said they were going to be coming into the beginning of the season. People predicted them to come in second of the A10, but now they're starting to prove a case. Nine games. Uh, they mm -hmm. shut out the 17th or the 15th best team in the nation, ECU. Was it the 15th? It was top 25 yeah. team. They shut out and uh, got a good uh, win against. So they're really starting to prove themselves here, and maybe make a run for that number one spot in the A-10 and maybe even get that number by the side of their name, become nationally ranked. And VCU, they haven't made as big as an impact nationally since 2015 when they went to the Super Regionals. But give credit to VCU, like you said, Ben. It's They had a rough start to the season. They got into a couple of home stretches, three-game home stretches against A-10 opponents and then Iona. And then they also had some games on the road. And now they're starting to get themselves back together. A lot of brand new faces here at VCU's baseball club after we've seen departures like Logan Farrar and Carpenter. And just got to give credit to the whole squad for them to regather themselves after a rough start with a team that's young. Now, typically with lack of experience means lack of knowledge on how to come back from a situation because typically when you start losing either two things can happen that culture stays with you or you change that culture to become a winning team a winning franchise and VCU for a while at the beginning of the season was looking kind of rough but here we are now they changed the culture they got back and now they have this nine game win streak yeah, and it's really great to see a sophomore catcher being able to win those kinds of awards early on in the season. And I mentioned that he's a sophomore because he is young in the program. It's not just a it's not a junior or a senior who's going to not be there next year. It's a sophomore you're going to have for at least another 2 years on the team. So seeing someone like him step up and get those and be recognized for his efforts is really great for that VCU baseball team. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, the, the baseball team here, they have a, a high reputation, and obviously it was pretty surprising how bad they started off the season, and, you know, it's just really fortunate that uh, they're, they're able to turn it around. Now, looking uh, towards the tennis section of the show, we're going to start off with men's tennis. Uh, VCU lost to Elon on Saturday 6-1. to one. And their record is now 8-5. Their next game is on Saturday at Rice. And going to the women's tennis, uh, they did win at Winthrop 4-3. And their record is now 11-2. Their next game is against East Tennessee State on Saturday. 
wow, so really all VCU teams doing pretty exceptional in these sections, like you mentioned. Uh, men's tennis, they got a loss to Elon, but they're still 8-5, and five, so that's something to really be proud of uh, for this uh, team. So I think getting a win, just kind of recovering, even if it was a tough loss, that might have just been because of a longer break, getting back into the swing of things here, mm-hmm. and now they're starting to get back in their motions. And with the weird season, just like the Mother Nature has been awfully weird with this winter, and then you got spring, second day of spring, it's snowing with the weird weather conditions. It kind of throws off outdoor teams such as baseball and tennis. And this, they they managed to get their groove back, even despite of how Mother Nature has affected their playing abilities. Yeah, and same thing for women's tennis, except they're kind of doing they're doing a lot better actually. Eleven and two. Their next game is East Tennessee State on Saturday, like you said, Roland. And eleven and two, they haven't hit any bumps in the road. They've been rolling. They've been rolling around this whole time. Uh, it's uh, it's really great to see the success that they've had so far, and hopefully it'll be the uh, first VCU championship of this uh, this semester, uh, this semester. So. Or year, I should say. So that'd be really cool to see. Yeah. So we're going to take a another quick break here. But when we get back, it's out of season. But we get, still got a lot of talk to you about men's basketball when we return on WVCW Radio. <laughs> Welcome back to the aftermath. We're going to get straight into men's basketball. Even though it's in the offseason, there's still a lot to talk about here. And the first thing to bring up, which we didn't get to talk too much about last time, is about how freshman point guard Tyler May is transferring out of VCU. May played in 32 of VCU's 33 games, averaging 1.4 points per game, 0.5 assists per game, and 7.4 minutes per game. His season high was only seven points, and that came against Cal in the Hawaii Invitational. But those numbers lie in this situation. And let me tell you why. Tyler May was a player who lacked in size, but still had something special to him whenever he got into the game. When he stepped foot on the court, he was able to make something happen, and that's what coaches Mm -hmm. are looking for. He changed the game for VCU whether it just be a quick layup or even it felt like he got a steal almost every time he was in the ballgame. So those are the little things that VCU is going to be missing. Already thin at that point guard position, Uh, Johnny Williams, their senior point guard, is leaving, and they're getting in some new recruits. It looks like they're going to have uh, Marcus Evans come in. But before we get to that, guys, I just want to get your input on Tyler May and what that impact is going to leave on VCU with him leaving. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's damaging considering that he was a freshman and he was one of like uh, the few shining parts that that had a lot of potential on this team, even though he didn't get a lot of playing time. And uh, you know, with a bunch of seniors leaving like uh, Johnny Williams and Justin Tillman, you know, they they could have really used uh, some youth uh, with this upcoming season. So they're gonna have to find a way to recover. Yeah, with Tyler May. Give him all the credit in the world. Great player. 
I'm glad that he made the decision to, if he wanted to play for another program, I'm proud for him to step up and make that move. But I think this actually benefits the Rams in the situation. They were a very guard-heavy team this year. This helped clears up a log jam. And again, they had Marcus Evans coming in from Rice from that Mike Rhodes package. So it leaves a space open for Evans. And then this also leaves space to pick up a extra big with Tillman leaving now. So it leaves space to get more players besides just in the backcourt. Yeah, I agree. Uh, VCU is Marcus Evans. They're, they're going to have Marcus Evans next season who redshirted. He was the one of the top transfers in the nation. Uh, he averaged, I think, 19 points per game at Rice. Set the conference record at Rice for uh, points as a sophomore with 665. And the most important part to me is that he understands Coach Rhodes' system because he came with Coach Rhodes when he signed over here at VCU. So I think that's really important. But for me, that's a big reason of why a lot of these VCU seniors like Johnny Williams and Justin Tillman were having a much more difficult time playing on uh, playing this year than maybe in previous years. They didn't fully understand the system that Coach Rhodes was putting on them yet. Uh, they might have been playing in it, but they weren't fitting in it yet, and it takes some time to adjust. It takes some time to adjust to. They've been playing under a different system for the first three years of their college system. Mm -hmm. And now some of these younger players, and this is why I say it's good that we have a younger team. A lot of these younger players now have had a year of experience under this system, have taken some time to adjust, and are starting to really understand it. And that's why I think it should work out a lot better uh, next season, especially with Marcus Evans. And also... Another point guard that we're going to have to talk about is P.J. Bird, who's currently a senior in high school. He's a three-star recruit coming in uh, for P.J. Bird, who's uh, coming in next season. So he's going to be a lot to, uh, really good to look forward to uh, coming up here. Yeah, and obviously uh, he has a, a similar style to a road system in his high school. So you know, that's, that's going to uh, be way better for VCU next year, uh, especially with uh, Marcus Evans coming in too. And let's not forget that with VCU being such a guard-heavy team as is, they need somebody that can be a forward. They they desperately need a forward now that Tillman's production is gone. You're missing a player that gets you at least a double-double a night. And I think that they might find that answer. And Vincent Williams, the four-star small forward, was projected 41st, projected the 41 small forward, prospect per ESPN Williams picked VCU over great basketball programs like Xavier and Wichita State as well as University of Richmond so the fact that he chose Virginia Commonwealth University as the program that he wants to play for just shows the I feel like he chose VCU based off of the history for the past couple of years playing with intensity down by 20 or up by 20 played with intensity full 40 minutes up and down the court and I'm excited to see Vincent Williams play because VCU hasn't had that forward, I believe, since Corey Bilberry back two years ago to take control of the game. Yeah, Vincent Williams was just named on the uh, first team All-Ohio, so that's going to be really good uh, to look forward to. Vince Williams is someone, like you said, he had a lot of other options. He could have gone anywhere 
that he really he could have gone to programs like Xavier, who did a lot better than VCU this year, Wichita State, who did a lot better than VCU this year, or even U of R. But he knows that this is a rebuilding year, or that this is going to be rebuilding, and that this program is only going up from here. It's only going to improve. So that's not just showing his commitment, but it's also showing his intelligence is smart for the game he knows what's going on here and he knows what to look forward to so that's gonna be really good and he might even find himself in a starting role his freshman year here with vcu won't be surprised yeah so hopefully vcu will be continue their their continue their success in their offseason workouts which everybody knows is is pretty uh it's pretty dramatic and it's pretty it's ongoing for VCU, but a lot to look forward to, like we said. We're gonna take another short break here, but when we return, we're gonna have Jacob take us through the A ten talk. So stay with us on the aftermath here on WVCW Sports Radio. Welcome back. You are listening to The Aftermath on WVCW.org. And we're going back to the show talking about the Atlantic 10 Conference. Davidson and Rhode Island both got eliminated from the NCAA Tournament in the very first weekend of March Madness. Davidson came in to the NCAA Tournament winning the A-10 Tournament over Rhode Island. Davidson had the best defense in the whole conference the whole season only allowing 64 points per game and Rhode Island being the stud that they were. They had an excellent year after winning the A-10 conference the previous year, but that didn't matter as both of them got eliminated the very first weekend. Davison bowed out also early in the first round to Kentucky. Thoughts about the early exits from the A-10 teams? Well, it's certainly disappointing to see for the A-10. I mean, it's it's good in the first place that they got three teams in. And I, and I always say that the A-10 is the biggest mid-major out there. They're the most well-known if they're even a mid-major anymore because a lot of those smaller conferences don't send three teams and have the potential for five if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. You know, VCU, who, who usually goes, doesn't wasn't there. Dayton has the potential to go. So it's really really interesting to watch a smaller per se conference being able to send that many teams in the uh national tournament but davidson uh rhode island really great runs uh st bon- or st bonaventure as well for the a10 like you said earlier all the virginia teams are out but that's not the a10 um yeah so it's disappointing to see but it's also they had some really good seasons and I don't think anyone predicted them going past the Elite Eight, so it was predicted. I mean, yeah, it's it's not really surprising that they were eliminated. Uh, Davidson, you know, there's no shame in bowing out uh, to a team like Kentucky with a huge reputation, and uh, you know, Rhode Island they had they had a great win against Oklahoma with a you know a Trey Young, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, but. I mean, Duke is another school that has a big reputation in basketball, and it's, it, it'll be pretty hard to beat them. And Rhode, and about the impact of A-10, Rhode Island's coach, Dan Hurley, decided to transfer over to UConn's men's basketball program. And Dayton 
they're having three of their star players leave. So what's Anthony Grant going to do next season? I think that he might just, he's obviously going to pick up new pieces, but try to build around the players that he has right now that's still committed to the program. Well, first off with Dan Hurley, I want to get off and started by say saying that he was originally okay with taking less money to stay at Rhode Island as long as that team was committed to improving their program. And from what I've seen is that Rhode Island gave Dan Hurley, Dan Hurley an insane offer. It was one or two million around there, plus uh, increases for their whole coaching staff and a lot more traveling benefits and just a whole lot more. It was an offer that no one expected them to give, and he still turned it down for that three point three or four million at UConn, who's obviously a better program, obviously has more facilities, mm-hmm. but still, I it just kind of. I hate to see it when a coach in the 810, like we've seen with VCU these past few years, kind of uses the league, which is they use the league to go to to bounce off and to go into a bigger program. And sure, that's what you do in a lot of times. But what would happen? What would happen? What what would VCU's program be today if Shaka stayed? What would what would URI's program be in the next two to three years if Coach Dan Hurley stayed? Mm-hmm. You know, it's. Like we were kind of saying earlier, it's a mid-major still, but by sending these teams consistently, you're almost like one of the most popular conferences mm-hmm. in the nation, and not you're not a mid-major anymore. You're you're a major conference when you're able to do that. Well, Shaka, he stayed for about seven, eight years, and when he first got to the program, the team missed out on a chance to go to the big dance, but after that... After they missed that chance, they made it to six straight. So we've seen what Shock was able to do. I say, imagine what happened if Will Wade would have stayed. Yeah. You know? And but he's over there at LSU. He used. I don't want to say used. He benefited from coaching the VCU basketball program, and that attracted bigger markets. And Will Wade saw that opportunity. He took the opportunity to get into a bigger name, a bigger program. and I don't I'm even think LSU is a bigger name. LSU? I mean, they're more known for their athletics, possibly. but Football team. But yeah, they didn't make the tournament, team. I don't think. I, I don't think yeah. that they made the tournament either. But when the money's there, yeah. you got to take it. I mean, that's what Shaka did with Texas. And Texas, mm. they got booted out, if I'm not mistaken, yep. in the tournament this year. But I don't blame Hurley. Going to UConn, it was it was great for what he did for Rhode Island, getting them into the tournament, getting them a conference championship for the first time since 1999. And I'm sure that University of Rhode Island is very thankful for everything that Hurley has contributed to their program. Yeah, and like like what you guys were saying about LSU, obviously it's not a they're not known for basketball in particular, but they they do bring in a lot of heavy recruits. Like they had Ben Simmons recently and. You know, uh, they're trying to to match up their reputation to that of the football team. So, you know, it's it's understandable why Coach Rhodes would want to be there. And, uh, you know, it's the same with uh, Dan Hurley. Now, U- UConn does have a way bigger reputation in basketball than LSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won the national championship like a few years ago. 2014. With, uh, yeah. Like, was that a team with Kemba Walker? No. It was. I don't think, I don't think that team won. Oh, okay. 
Or I know it went to the final or something. They were good with Kemba Walker, but the 2014 team, yeah, 2014 UConn's program didn't have Kemba. Yeah, Kemba's been in the league for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So, once again, Dan Hurley going to UConn, and just to reiterate. I don't think it's the team he uses. I think it's more of the league and what he does in it. I think he was able to do some really great things, bring Rhode Island, not winning the A-10, but was mm-hmm. able to uh, obviously get them at one point a number 14, a number 15 um, seed in the nation, and then finishing at that number 25 seed. So I'm just – I would want to know why he said that he could take a lower pay or the same amount of pay – but then go to that offer where where Rhode Island arguably did just as well as UConn this year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's for me. And then on the other part of the A-10, Dayton has three players leave, including young freshman Kostas Antimankumpo. And you might recognize that name. He's the brother of Giannis Antimankumpo, who's currently in the league. There are two different players, but not so much in size as they're both pretty, pretty large men. And Kostas obviously is uh, uh, pursuing pro opportunities. He's done with college basketball, might go play in a different country. He has potential from what I've seen him play. He didn't get too much playing time this year because he was a freshman, but he did come off the bench quite often and has a lot, a lot of um, potential. Yeah, and it's it's a – I'm not going to say it's a shame seeing – three players leave because sometimes you got people graduating or you got people transferring for personal reasons but I think it might harm Dayton's basketball program Dayton's normally one of the teams that compete in the A-10 conference they're normally in the top four seating every year and we'll just see how Grant gets that program back together after these players departed yeah going back to to Costas leaving I mean it's obviously he he was obviously frustrated with the the lack of minutes he got. I don't know if I don't think he'll get to the NBA right away. It's kind of strange he's declaring for the for the draft even though he didn't get that much playing time at all. I I don't even think he started that much to be honest, but uh you know, like you said maybe he'll play in another country and eventually he can come come to the NBA. Yeah, I think like you said the potential is obviously there for him. It's just what's going to happen with his career after this, especially leaving school as a freshman. It's always risky. Um, and hopefully Dayton's program can get on track uh, again. I predicted that next year that they were going to have that kind of rebuilding, can kind of be in that same stage as VCU and start to rebuild again. But a lot of those players might not see it that way. And obviously three of them are going to pursue other opportunities. Those other two that are leaving aren't seniors. So We'll see what happens with that program. Hopefully it doesn't harm them too much. We're going to get into some quick notable results here. George Mason baseball topped Lafayette 12-3 to and 13-12. to So one's pretty dominating win, one much closer, but good results for George Mason. Stetson overwhelmed Rhode Island 10-1. to St. Joseph crushed Sacred Heart 10-3, to and Davidson won by 11 over Mount St. Mary's. So... Those are the baseball results. We're going to take another break here. When we get back, we're going to talk about the rest of college sports, not just the A-10, but around the nation. Stay with us here on WVCW Sport Radio. 
All right, and welcome back to the aftermath. Uh, right now, we're going to take you into the college sports segment. Uh, looking at college football, Nick Saban uh, scoffs at uh, recent retirement rumors. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how old he is now. Like, how old? He must be in his 50s. He's getting there. He's been in the game for a while now. Yeah. And uh, ECU quarterback Gardner Minshew transferred to uh, Washington State. And unfortunately, star Auburn wide receiver Eli Stove tore his ACL. So, yeah, I don't think, going back to the Nick Saban part, I don't think we're going to see him retire for a while. I mean, why would you? I mean, you're continuously going to the national playoffs and getting in at least in the contention for ne- for national championships. He's making his, uh, his name for one of the greatest college coaches of all time. It's no point to retire right now. Why would you stop it while it's... Still fun. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Nick Saban's been coaching forever, even going back to the days as an assistant for the Cleveland Browns when Bill Belichick was the head coach of the Browns. Not many people remember that. And then if he didn't retire after his stint in the NFL at the Miami Dolphins franchise, then I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon with University of Alabama, especially after that astounding comeback from not leading the whole entire game, coaching his team to come back to win in overtime, I wouldn't retire. Yeah, I mean, the guy is just a madman. I mean, he's he's obsessed with football, and I don't understand where these retirement rumors came from. Uh, maybe because he's been coaching for so long, but I don't see him stopping anytime soon. All right, and looking at college basketball, uh, Syracuse won in a thriller over ASU. Uh, Tubby Smith was officially fired as the head coach in Memphis, and it looks like Penny Hard- Hardaway is, is reportedly the top choice to replace him. And Pitt meets with former Indiana coach Tom Crean for for the same job. And uh, metrics predicted either Virginia, Villanova, or Duke as the most probable national champions. And the Sweet 16 starts tonight. Well, if uh, those are all true, then I guess... Uh... Villanova is going to win the national championship. I mean, I'm still shocked over the whole Virginia Virginia losing. And because they lost, I was hoping that UMBC would go all the way. But uh, that was a little bit unlikely. But, you know, like we saw, any team can win on any given day. So you never know. And with March Madness up to this point, I got to ask both of y'all this. Do you think that upsets hurt? The NCAA, when it comes to March Madness, or does it benefit them? You have many people complaining about their brackets. You got people in Vegas going and going ballistic with all these upsets. Does it hurt or does it benefit the NCAA with all these upsets? I mean, it depends on what like standpoint you're looking at. It. Just as a fan, uh, I mean, I mean, you got to be uh, pretty excited about this. I mean, uh, you know, looking at a Loyola, Loyola Chicago. Uh, they've kind of been like the Cinderella story of the tournament so far, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean they're having a lot of fun. Like you even see it on on Twitter with the the memes of Sister Jean, and uh, yeah, just for the fans it's fun. But like you said, uh, for the people in Vegas, uh, you know who gamble on these games, it's uh, it's pretty tough for them. And uh, I'm sure looking at the standpoints of the the top teams that lost, maybe they thought these were uh, unfair 16-1, 15-2 matchups, right? Uh, you know, it, you can you can go with this a lot of ways, but uh, you know, the NCAA they gotta figure out some kind of uh new way to maybe uh 
to rank these teams. Yeah, I agree completely with you. Looking at it from a, a fan standpoint, it's extremely exciting. I mean, maybe if you're not a fan, if you're a fan of UVA, but or other teams, but it, it's still exciting. We're all fans of ECU here, mm-hmm. I assume, and the team's not even in the tournament, so we have a reason to be salty. But it's still exciting to watch all these upsets of maybe our second favorite teams. Like if we were ever fans of UVA, I think, I think this it makes it more more surprising, and, and it just makes it, it makes it so more people are interested because they aren't really sure what is going to happen. And for me, that this is why this is one of the most interesting March Madnesses we've had in a very long time. So I agree. It definitely makes it more interesting. I mean, my theory of it is I, I love to see these upsets, even though Vegas is going ballistic with money, with gambling and this, that, and the third. But that's a different beast for a different day. But I personally think all these upsets are happening. I think it's just because of fundamentals we don't see fundamentals you know and i remember i was just thinking through this the other day i was seeing kids play basketball i remember me growing up used to be like mid-range work the post make your free throws shoot a three if the option's there but now we have six seven year old kids pulling up from half court and not driving to the lane I think it's just coming down to fundamentals that caused all these upsets this year. I don't know because, I mean, let's be honest, that Michigan game, when they hit that buzzer beater three, they they were sloppy. They were sloppy, and they benefited from the other team missing the, the pair of free throws in order to make it more than a one-possession game. So I think it's obviously the fundamentals that's causing all these upsets. And looking at it once again from a fan uh, standpoint of view, right now potentially there could be Loyola, Chicago, or Nevada moving on into the Elite Eight, which is just insane. So does that make it more interesting for people to watch? Do more people want to watch that matchup? Or would they rather watch a Kansas-Duke matchup? It's two different, completely different games, two different styles of play, and for me, they both seem equally important because on one hand, you have two teams that nobody predicted to be here that maybe they'll do something amazing now that they're here. They're the underdogs. But on the other hand, you have the most talented players in the nation facing off and everybody knows that it's going to be a hard fought game. So it's pick and choose. But for me, I find them equally interesting and important. I agree with you 100% right there. I mean, you know, either way you look at it, if you get two teams like, like you said, Kansas and Duke, it's it's obviously going to be entertaining because, uh, you know, of the high recruits and and the players, you know, best players in the nation. Uh, but if you look at Loyola Chicago and Nevada, I mean, it, they have great stories, and uh, you know, I, I'm sure people uh, will be rooting uh, for the underdog. It's all there's always a good underdog story. And. At the end of the day, both games is going to bring interest. You still have two powerhouses that make it in every year, go at it. And then you got new faces going at it with Nevada and Loyola, Chicago. And that's honestly the definition of March Madness. You never, when that tournament starts, your record's 0-0, zero zero, even despite of the ranking. 
I mean, last year we got shocked with a two losing to a 15 seed in Michigan State, where the U.S. where 25% of brackets in the U.S. had Michigan State going all the way for Middle Tennessee to break their brackets. And this year, everybody had UVA winning. And then University of Maryland, Baltimore County, they ended up upsetting everyone. And mind you, that's only the second time that a one's defeated a 16 going back. The first time it happened was in 1974. I can't remember the two teams. I think it was Princeton. It was a women's basketball team. I apologize for not remembering the names. But this is the first time in men's basketball that it's happened in the second time overall. And a lot of people who are in those Vegas betting areas, those those betting options they know that this is what could happen that it's going to turn out this year i mean name the last time there's been a march madness tournament where something where the underdogs just haven't where there hasn't been some insane underdog obviously never a 16 and one like you said in men's basketball but something's gonna happen and that this year was just kind of a variable or well it was just kind of a standout you know Mm -hmm. it was it's just different in the fact that it happened a lot more this year and the potential that in our elite eight and our final four might not even have a number one seed or a number two seed. So it's really amazing when you think of it. We're going to take one more short break here before we end off the show. Right when we come back, we're going to get into the professional sports segment. So stay with us here on the Aftermath, broadcasting live in the studios from WVCW Sports Radio. My beyond this night. Welcome back to the Aftermath here alongside Roland Hakka and Jacob Sexton. I'm Ben Malikoff. Glad you're, tu- you're tuning in with us on this Thursday evening. A really great uh, day it's been so far. We're going to get into our last segment here, professional sports. And this is a topic that us three know a lot about. All of us really big football fans. We're going to get straight to it. The Browns, the Cleveland Browns, a team that have been making a lot of improvements, a lot of uh, a lot of differences to their roster coming into this year. I'm going to ask you both, what do you think the Browns will do with their first pick, especially after Sam Darnold's performance at his pro day? Yeah, obviously most of the mock drafts have them taking uh, Sam Darnold, but obviously they just traded for uh, Tyrod Taylor, so now there's a dilemma. Do you star Tyrod Taylor for the first year while you bench Sam Darnold so he can learn under Tyrod, maybe like uh, what the Chiefs did with Doc Smith and uh, Pat Mahomes? Or do you go for a running back like uh, Saquon Barkley, who a lot of people say might be the best player in the draft overall? I think the Browns is going to take Barkley because look at Tyrod Taylor last season with the Bills. He was pretty okay with the Bills. Even though that the ownership said otherwise and they tossed in Perriman. Perriman had like five interceptions before halftime. But Tyrod Taylor was pretty decent. They got the Bills into the playoffs despite of technicalities with Baltimore losing week 17. But 
I think with all these additions, they're a plus for the Browns. But until you change that culture in Cleveland, I don't see them getting any better. Will they win a game next year? Probably. Probably. You can only go nowhere but up from 0-16. But until they change that culture in Cleveland, until they change the culture of losing all these seasons to finally winning, especially in possibly the toughest division in the NFL and the AFC North, I don't see Cleveland getting far. To me, the addition of Tyrod Taylor was so was really essential because uh, Tyrod Taylor is someone who's always been a guy who stuck to his fundamentals, a really uh, strong and solid quarterback. He's had some few downs in the NFL, but was a really good college player. I know that doesn't always transfer over, but he's shown a few bright spots, especially being on the Bills. He's really good with his feet, has a lot of arm strength, is able to throw the ball really well, so I think that can work out for the Browns. It's their first quarterback that's not someone old or someone who has absolutely no experience, so I think that this is the right fit for the Browns at the moment. And going with what you said, Roland, about their pick, you mentioned about Saquon Barkley, and he's one of those guys who's a sure bet for me, someone who's going to do good in the NFL, someone who's going to be able to perform really well. I think he's one of those sure bets. And for me, that's who I hope that the Washington Redskins take because they need a running back. They're up there at uh, number 13, I believe, um, or number 12, one of those. But they need someone. They need Saquon very badly. They need a running back, someone who's not Chris Thompson, not someone who's just a pass catching back. They need someone who can run the ball really well. So for me, with the Redskins, I think that they should take Saquon Barkley, or even a D tackle like a Deron Payne. Yeah, I saw that report of uh, the Redskins possibly uh, looking for a running back. Uh, you know, to replace their kind of weird situation they have right now. Uh, you know, switching between Chris Thompson as the pass catcher to Rob Kelly, but the Rob Kelly experiment hasn't really gone well. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think uh, Barkley's going to be available uh, at the 13th overall pick, so maybe they could decide to get another defensive back because that's always been a, a real issue for them, uh, especially with a corner. They need another corner to uh, to play with Josh Norman. I know that they signed uh, Orlando Skandrick recently, but I feel like he's kind of he's he's getting up there in age. And uh, they just uh, let go of Bashad Breeland uh, into free agency. So uh, for me, those are obviously the two positions that uh, the Redskins need to focus on in the draft. So let's uh, transition into sports. Roland, I want to go back with you for a second because you know a lot about the Washington Wizards. They've uh, been having some... It's been up and down for them, as we've seen. John Wall's still out, but he's getting very, very close to returning. What's been going on with them recently? Yeah, I mean, uh, at first when John Wall was was out, uh, the Wizards were playing really well. They were uh, moving the ball a lot, uh, and Bradley Beal had that everybody-eats mentality that uh, he talked about uh, in that press conference. But, you know, recently they have realized that they do need John Wall because uh, I feel like teams have figured out what they're doing without him. And, uh, I mean... Uh, it's it's not looking good right now. They really need him back. Uh, you know that that run that they had uh, when he was out originally, it, it was good. But obviously, you know, good things don't last that long. And with the Wizards, the Wizards are obviously doing better without Wall. But with Wall coming back into the lineup, I feel like 
it'll hurt them when he comes back later in the season just because John Wall's so ball dominant. Even though that Wall's also known to dish out assists here and there, I feel like when there's seven, six seconds left, Wall will try to do some heroics and try to rush an assist, and sometimes that harms the Wizards more than it does good. All right, guys, we have less than a minute here, so I'm going to ask you both a quick question. Roland, you're up first. 13 teams came to watch Johnny Manziel play or to throw the ball around as pro day. Do you see him coming back into the NFL? you got 10 seconds to answer the question. No, maybe he could try try out in the CFL or maybe the, the XFL, uh, but I don't see him coming back to the NFL, no. Jacob? Nope. Not a single chance? No, they don't, they don't want the baggage that comes with Manziel. Even after a short re- uh, recovery period, you don't see Johnny Manziel coming back to the NFL ever? It, it's going to be hard. Manziel wants to come back, but teams is not going to let him come back. All right, and that's all we have today here on The Aftermath. Thank you for joining us. Uh, every Thursday, it's The Aftermath here alongside Roland Haka and Jacob Sexton. I'm Ben Malikoff. Be sure to tune in next week at the exact same time here at WVCW Sports Radio.